0: Welcome back everyone to a brand new edition of Screenplay Rewind. I'm Jeff. I'm Ron. And what movie are we covering this week, Mr. Ron? Two Pacific Two Rim Uprising. Oh shit. <laughs> Uprising. This, this, Drift. Is the, this is the one with Ludacris, right? Yes. Okay, okay, good to know. Good to know. <laughs> Whatever happened to Ludacris? Is he still in <laughs> Fast and the Furious? I, he, I stopped watching Fast and the Furious like twelve sequels ago. He's gone plaid. Oh, okay, okay. So we had a whole 20 seconds of having a Space Pulse <laughs> quote. And now, that, now I, I'm just going to go ahead and say Dark Souls so people can take two drinks while they're just you know taking that first one. Mm-hmm. And here we continue the episode. But yeah, we are continuing our completely original titled series, Franchise Summer, with the sequel to Yammer Del Toro's Pacific Rim. Uh, this was Uprising from 2018. Uh, new director this time, uh, Del Toro. I, I am actually not 100% why del toro didn't return for this movie because by all accounts he you know like was legitimately proud of his little you know kaiju mecha movie called pacific rim and he actually you know, like really liked making it everything and he just kind of dipped from the franchise kind of weird
1: i was afraid we were going to go into that because i realized i hadn't done any of the research on that but if you recall um and i believe we covered some of this on our old podcast but it seemed like every week there was different news of Pacific Rim 2 is greenlit. Now it's canceled. Now it's greenlit. Now it's canceled. Del Toro is signed on. Now it's canceled. Del Toro revived it. Oh, yeah. I, then, I vaguely recall this. Now. This was like then,
0: several years ago.
1: All of a sudden, he wasn't going to be directing. He was going to be producing. And then he wasn't involved. And it's like, then if I recall correctly, it's like they would do Pacific Rim 2 if he stepped away. Or something, so he stepped away, and then we got Pacific Rim Uprising.
0: Because he's still credited as a, both a producer and a consultant, so yes. he was like
1: kind of involved, but not. But he's not the writer, and he's not the director. Uh, yeah, but I, I just I remember us going through that every single because our last podcast, The will be expletives. Most of it is still up on YouTube. Um, we covered weekly. Uh, movie in television news and it seems like I remember us going through that phase over and over and over again every week it's like all right, here's the Pacific Rim update
0: yeah Um, which was really strange too that it was in such like a hardcore state of development hell because it took five years for the sequel to come out in theaters yet the first movie if you go back and look at it it was actually pretty profitable yeah but yeah, when you combine both, uh, the domestic, uh, you know, like a return they made on it, plus all the uh, overseas stuff like Pacific Rim 1 made a lot of money. This one ended up kind of drawing even, which kind of more than likely killed the franchise going forward as far as uh, new sequels. You know, unless Netflix just decides to, you know, back up their money trucks and then just if Netflix know, just did, fucking...
1: they should be looking up del Toro's address and backing the truck up there.
0: Uh, agreed. Yeah, we'll get into it. Uh, I like this movie, but this is not anywhere near as good as the as the first one for me. Yeah, uh, with... I
1: like it. I like it pretty good. It's definitely a case of the original was better.
0: Yeah. Um, so let's just real quickly run down the rest of the uh, cast and crew. Uh, so the director and co-writer is Stephen S. DeKnight. Uh He's famous for creating the Spartacus show uh and he was also the kind of essentially like uh co-creator for daredevil on netflix actually uh okay. drew goddard was originally the the sole creator and showrunner of netflix daredevil had a scheduling conflict with the sinister six movie that was going to be coming out back then which that got shit canned uh and then Stephen est Knight pretty much established like the tone of that that show by uh you know show running the first season before handing off the char- uh, char- running duties, uh, duties to the other two people that had taken over for the Punisher and electric season and so forth. Um, he's popped around like on a little bit here and there, but Dar- uh, Daredevil, Spartacus, and this have been kind of the highlights of his career thus far. Uh, he co-wrote it with Emily Carmichael, Kira Snyder, and T.S. Nowlin. Uh, Travis Beecham has a base on characters created by credit since he had pretty much created the the property with del toro for the first one and co-wrote the script on the first movie mm-hmm. um so let's uh let's start off right there so what is your biggest takeaway on a pacific Rim sequel not helmed by del toro
1: my takeaway on this movie would i take away of like what i would expect the sequel to be
0: so your your takeaway by like his performance as the right the co writer and director on it uh, compared to like how much of the soul of Pacific Rim is lost when you go to a sequel that's not directed and written by him. Um,
1: I I feel like it's I feel like it's halfway there, about halfway there. I feel like, uh, I feel like the human element in this movie, while not as strong as the first movie, I still like. The characters, I still like the characters' storylines and arcs. Um, I just,
0: feel I like, like them a lot better than I actually remembered. Expected to going in, yeah. Uh, be, because it's a little bit of a uh, kind of a generic like story trope of you know, like the son of the former military badass, you know, trying to kind of like step in. Points, uh,
1: it loses points for that with me because at this point, that's just a Hollywood trope. The sequel has yeah. to be the kids. Uh, interestingly enough, it doesn't go to these levels. I've slammed this movie before on this podcast, but there's uh, this is how Independence Day Regurgents should have done uh, their sequel if they were going to do it. But it's it's all the kids of all the characters doing stuff, but the entire soul of the first Independence Day movie was lost in it. Whereas this one actively tried to fit in with the universe of the first move.
0: Yeah, and for handling what has become you know, just a straight-up trope, I actually think it handles the, the storyline and backstory of John Boyega's character really well. Uh, I actually really like his character in this. The reason it works is they don't dwell on it. It's not what the
1: movie is about. Yeah, if they had made that a major plot point or a major
0: arc of the story, it would have gotten really thin real fast. Um, I think what what also helps it too is its runtime. They keep it yes. at about an hour and forty five minutes if you take out the credits. Had this been like like one of the biggest problems that grinds the fucking Michael Bay Transformers movies to a halt is he always feels the need to make them like two hours and fucking forty five minutes long, which requires. So much more time dedicated to the boring ass, generic ass human characters. So just... Pacific Rim has them there, but they're they're never, you know, grinding the movie to a halt just to just dwell on the human characters that no one's really there to see anyway.
1: Yeah. It, it, in Transformers, the payoff for grinding all of those gears is a bunch of shaky cam, blurry CGI that you can't tell what is happening. Yeah. Exactly. You know, and here. They kind of follow the same format, a little bit of the first movie. It's not entirely... By the way, we're going into full spoilers on everything. Um, but it it follows the format of the first movie where it keeps giving you robot action throughout and in each, uh, each act of the movie, just like the first one did. Maybe not the same level of the first one. And honestly, at first glance, the first time I saw it, not as impressive, but knowing that what Obsidian Fury is and what is inside of it really changes that on the second
0: viewing, I think. It's also kind of funny, as I just realized on the second viewing, that they're essentially giant mechadolics. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the little alien brain inside the robot. Yep, they are, I don't know uh, why I didn't think of that when I originally watched this movie, but it was like, oh, it's just a giant Dalek?
1: The thing that, uh, that I like also is uh, there's a lot of, uh, well, not a lot, but... The f- both movies have a 98 Godzilla reference in them. And then while the first movie kind of references Neon Genesis Evangelion, one of the robots in this one is straight up from Neon Genesis Evangelion, basically. And then the um, if you've ever seen Evangelion, you know <clears throat> when um, the mechs in that lose control, you find out that there's the monster inside. They actually just built a mech around a monster yeah. And when yeah. they transform and go in berserk mode, that is exactly what those drones look like when they drop off at the Shattered Dome and they attack
0: the Shattered Dome.
1: They they look exactly like a berserker.
0: This movie is incredibly influenced by Evangelion oh, uh, to yes. the point where if you if you actually go and Google Pacific Rim Uprising Evangelion, my article on CBR comparing the two All is right. one of the top Google results. So nice if anyone wants if anyone wants to read more of my comparisons between those two movies, uh, or sorry, the anime and this film, you know, you can definitely go check that out. Uh, so I, and like an interesting parallel too that I I focus on in the article. Is it's, it's so much of a nod to Evangelion, even with its protagonist, because like the the parallel with like Jake trying to live up to the legacy of his, you know, super badass and famous father is just like Shinji and his dad and Evangelion, too. You know, they. I forgot that I'm going into this conversation with a fucking Pacific Rim Uprising scholar. I forgot you wrote that article <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> and went into the detail that you did.
0: Yeah, I, I I did a lot of homework uh to include like the specifics on the way that they're like tech and evangelion was. It's actually a lot of fun to write when you have to go do like research. <laughs> I'm sure. I have to do research for work and just you know like look up a bunch about an anime that I like. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but hate at the same time as is the nature of that anime. God,
0: that. Did you ever watch the movie? <laughs> I'm still waiting for the fourth one. The oh. the fucking the the first the end of Evangelion movie man did you ever go back and watch the original movie yeah yeah I've seen I've seen all of it where it's like it's this completely grounded you know quote-unquote you know for Evangelion it's like oh <laughs> they're finally fixing the weird-ass ending of the anime nope <laughs> just for the fucking third act of the movie to also take a complete like left turn that's in the, the one fucking... that that's the one, the airship and everything right at the end it's the one where they're like, I can't even explain it, dude. I, I go into a I start frothing at the mouth, just trying to like explain what the fuck happens <laughs> in that movie. But it's just like he just couldn't fucking help himself, but like lose his goddamn mind at the end of it all over again. <laughs> I don't know, dude. I don't know. So, I really like Evangelion. I wish I could get an actual ending to that fucking property, but I oh, cannot. <laughs> I there never will be. It's too much never of a meme happen. at this point. But How are the uh, newer ones that you had talked about? I have, I have not actually seen the uh, the newer installments, just the the end of Evangelion, like the first movie.
1: I I like them, but they're building up to a thing. They start out with a lot of what you know already while changing some of the details to make it work better. And then you get into that last one, and it sets up a whole brand new thing, and we still don't have the next part.
0: See that- Getting hyped up for the tail end of an Evangelion property is just a recipe for disaster. I'm so waiting I, I don't for the ending of that anime since like the nineties. I, uh, <laughs> I I think I'm I'm gonna have to like hear from you and the internet that the final thing from the new Evangelion movies is like actually a thing and is actually not batch insane and actually like a satisfying ending before I even start those new ones because I don't mm. want to get my heart broken again because I man I. That anime is so fucking good up until it's just fucking nonsense, and uh, and, and then like the ending of the movie where they <laughs> randomly interject live action footage of people walking around like Tokyo or something. I'm just yeah. like, what the fuck am I witnessing here? But this is this is not an Evangelion review. <laughs> this is a Pacific Rim Uprising review. But so it the, is important to make the connection because yes. like, uh, if you if you even look up like uh the uh the fucking article I had written the title image for it that i set up they even homage one of like their main posters in some of the pacific Rim uprising uh which it's interesting because you can you can fucking tell that they were influenced by it so it is important to note yes it
1: is and the other thing i feel is important to note uh, back to the question you asked me the other thing i feel like is i feel like do, do you get fast and furious vibes off of some of the dialogue and some of the character interactions i mean scott eastwood mentions that they're a family like eight times
0: <laughs> they're just missing coronas and it's it's all set
1: yeah and they, and they live their lives like a quarter jaeger at a time
0: <laughs> <And> <laughs> make that <laughs> make that undo a t-shirt please i would buy that shirt if we
1: titled our episodes that would be the episode title: <laughs> A Quarter Jager <laughs> at a time but yeah well i mean scrapper right there's your quarter jaeger yeah, there, there you go but yeah it uh I don't know like watching it this time and actually analyzing it and breaking it down, and with how much I've been hearing about the anticipation for fast nine and having fast and furious on the brain um I got a lot of fast and furious vibes off of a lot of different characters, mainly the main ones uh in this in this movie jake Nate amara um even Herman and Newt to a degree. Uh, I've, I, I've I got some some Fast and Furious vibes.
0: I really only get Fast and Furious vibes personally from the supporting characters. As far as like mostly the other cadets, like mm-hmm. I could not give less of a shit about any of the other cadets that aren't the main girl in this movie. They're yeah. just kind of a bunch of like annoying assholes.
1: They are, but for some reason, it still gets me every time we lose one in the main fight. Is we only lose one, I believe, and that that bothers me every time I, I watch the movie no I don't care about those characters I'm just like I was a fucking
0: kid trying to save yeah, the planet yeah. they, and they even reinforce that because like right as they do that that you know Boyega is trying to tell them to stop and, and you know like they, they're like no we got this and he's just like goddamn teenagers man it's like as much as you try you can't fucking control a teenager you know so yeah. like they're they're doing their best and they're trying. It's just it's you know it's an ill advised you know thing that gets one of them killed. But I think also, it is it is important for one of them to have been killed just to add yes. some stakes. Because like if if the fucking like literal world is at stake, there should be some repercussions to you know like their battle with it. So it make mm-hmm. it makes sense.
1: Yeah, it it does, and I think it also is a double sting because uh just like this just in the scene before that fight. Is one of my favorite jokes in the movie of just what the hell is this? My grandmother used to play it for me. It calms me down. What about me?
0: <laughs> yeah, and then they he's have, the they one
1: have that s- dies. They like, have
0: oh. uh, some real, like legitimately funny lines in this. It's not all <laughs> yes. like cringy. So
1: I don't know. I don't know what your mental notes look like. We were just talking before the show. Our notes is just the title of the movie, and everything else is blank. Um, yeah,
0: yeah. My I, I, neither one of us have any fucking notes.
1: Yeah. I don't know what you had on the docket, but one thing I wanted to talk about is the use of the drift again in this one. Um, okay, it's I feel like it's not used as strong and it's not in the forefront like it is in the first movie, but I think that's kind of a good thing because like we know, like we get it, we we saw we all saw the first movie, yeah. Um, so that I'm fine with that, but I still think it's used in a very subtle way in this movie that unless you stop and think about it, you don't even notice. And that is, there's a lot of moments in this movie, especially between Jake and Nate, which is John Boyega and Scott Eastwood, which distractingly looks and sounds too much like his father, by the way. It's actually
0: creepy. He's he's literally, he's a fucking uh, replicant, dude, of... I kept waiting for him to ask John Boyega to make his day. Like, I
1: just... (laughs) Kept waiting for it. has got nothing to do with it. <laughs> but he, uh, but especially between their two characters, because there's a point, especially after the Shatterdome is attacked, when they're just making snap decisions and like looking at each other, saying it, and the other one just instantly agreeing. And if you think about it, what is there for them to talk about? Why would they, why do we need a whole scene devoted to. This is the best course of action. No, my idea is better. They've been in each other's heads so many times. They even talk about before Jake was kicked out, they were pilots together. Yeah. So they've been in each other's heads. They know how each other thinks. And even if they don't know why the other one is making a decision, they know them well enough to know, to heed what they're thinking, right? They they heed their advice or whatever. A, spe- a specific example especially is... Like Amari just Amara just got kicked out and he's like, I'm kicking him back in. You good with that? And he's just instantly like, Yep. (laughs) You know, and like when they're every plan that they have, like when he alludes to the cadets, he's just like, Oh shit. Like nobody needs to finish their sentences. They all know what the other one is thinking or saying.
0: I actually think they make they do a good job also just making Scott Eastwood's character likable because I feel like I shouldn't like his character, but by the end of it I, you know, actually kinda like his character a lot. I
1: don't think that's the writing. I think that's Scott Eastwood. I, I agree. I think he elevates it a lot. I think Scott Eastwood got it. I think he understood what they were going for. And his character is supposed to be an unlikable prick when you first meet him, who endears you later. He kind of endears you from the start. Um because instead of just being the unlikable prick who who has issues, you know, that he is um I just lost the word I'm looking for, but instead of Having issues that he's just shoving deep down inside of himself and keeping to himself, like that specific archetype you see in movies. Yeah. He puts him on Front Street and he makes little dickish comments with his frustrations and
0: stuff. But how many toppings do you need? Step off my toppings, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. That, like... that, now, that is actually a scene where I, now, obviously, I think Scott Eastwood's. Uh, acting really helps his character too but just like the chemistry that him and Boyega have in their scenes yes. together is really good I really like their, like that scene with the, like where he's walking around the kitchen getting all the fucking ice cream toppings and shit it's really, it's really funny they have a good like character dynamic going
1: they're the way they're looking at each other and every time he starts to talk about Jake's wasted potential and he just sprays the whipped cream every time he starts talking <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> I'm sorry what was that man <laughs> <laughs> yeah but yeah Boyega so, does a good scene- job too like Boyega's character could easily be like just like a fucking prick in this, too. But I actually yes. really like Boyega's character in this movie.
1: Yes, they are doing the heavy lifting of this entire movie, those those two characters specifically. Um, but that scene is genius also because not only are they kind of coming to a head and talking about what they don't like about each other and putting exactly what they expect of each other out on Front Street, right? John Boyega is just like, okay, you come here, you say something soldiery, all right? And I'll be like, yes, what he said. And then he's sitting there like, no, you need to be more than that because you can be. And they're just putting all their feelings out there and they're angry with each other. But at the same time, he's just like, beer. And he's like, yep. Like he read his mind. And then he, but like he read the other one's mind. He's like, ice cream's up top. And he's like, yes. <laughs> and like they're still buddies. And even when they're not connected, they're still connected. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, it's it's like for for a lifetime they can always just kind of like uh, they know what
1: the other one is thinking at all times. They just they just know. Yes, yeah, it's,
0: it's like it's a it's of like a literal connection. It just becomes like an instinct for them.
1: By the way, I just want to put out there one of my all time favorite lines in all of uh, Pacific Rim, the Pacific verse or whatever, is. When she kisses Scott Eastwood on the cheek and says, don't <laughs> die, and then kisses John Boyega on the cheek and says, same goes for you, or whatever, and walks off, and he just goes, well, that's
0: confusing. That's yeah, it is delivering out yeah, that it's money. It's hilarious. <laughs> it's also just weird seeing John Boyega actually get to talk in his normal voice. Yes. He's almost always, and everything that I see, he's, uh, using an American accent. So it's kind of cool, you know, because it's, it's really great casting, too, because, like, John Boyega uh it can play very stoic you know like like when he's giving like his stacker pentecost style speech towards the end like he fucking sells it dude like he, he fucking, can be if st-
1: fucking can sells it and i love that he starts it out by saying like my father would make you feel invincible i'm not my father um but it just dawned on me that john boyega's character is more or less a likable version of chuck uh i'll, I'll check from what sorry uh pacific room one you had oh Hurt okay and chuck and you know he's a douchebag but it was a father-son team he drifted with his father all the time john boyega's character in this even talks about how he wished he could even drift with him someday he wanted to pilot with him yeah and if you stop and and kind of think about it, he's kind of a likable version of chuck in this yeah yeah, he's got he's that. got the same daddy issues and and everything, huh? That literally just dawned on me as we were
0: talking. So we, we've talked about uh, a lot of the new characters. For, just real quick a side note: the other female cadet does she not look like a fucking niece of Elizabeth Olsen? She looks just like Elizabeth Olsen to me, just in the interface. I don't uh, know if you Beak? noticed that you. Veek Victoria. Yeah, Victoria. I, I if you just like look at her in this movie, I don't know what it is, but she looks just like Elizabeth Olsen to me. I can see it. I could see like I, a young I just,
1: Elizabeth Olsen.
0: Cuz I literally thought she was not Olsen the first time I saw her cuz like she looks <laughs> just like the rest of, I just I don't know that out there. But let's talk about the uh the the use of some of the recurring characters from the first movie. What do you think about the use of uh Mako in this? Oh man. I get
1: that they're making her his motivation. I think he was basically motivated enough the first time shit would go down, though, without having to take her out. I The way she goes out, I feel like she's wasted.
0: Yeah, I'm really torn on the way now, they, they use Mako again. At the same um, time,
1: though, I do applaud that she didn't have to die in a Jaeger or didn't have to die in a monster attack, right? Like... I I get that. But for how little she was in it and the way she's taken out, that's a cool scene. It's well done. Mm-hmm. But, and I get that. Like I said, she's supposed to be his motivation for like, re- he's already signed up, but you know, he's checked out, getting him to check back in, getting him to bind the Rangers again, wanting to pilot again. All of that is supposed to be hinging on her helicopter going down. Yeah, because he,
0: he doesn't. He he's forced to basically either go to jail or reenlist. Yeah. So he's there by, you know, necessity. He doesn't want to be there. Hmm. So I, I think it makes. I actually I like that they take a few minutes to to develop the relationship between Mako and Jake, and you actually make it where they're essentially brother and sister.
1: This movie understands that they are shoehorning in a character that we didn't know existed. Yeah, it understands what it's doing and it understands what it has to do. But again, that's not what the movie is about. So they
0: go about it in a believable way. You know yeah, what I mean? It's, it's almost one of those things where it's just it just sucks so much to see her die at all just because like, I, I really know. like her character a lot. But like I get it. So I'm very torn. I'm, I don't like hate it and I don't like it. Uh, at, at least it, that she dies, you know, has does have some like meaning towards getting him fucking Walking uh, dead. Am I right? Completely, yeah. Uh just, just actually to get him uh back to being invested in it. Because, you know, like with with Stacker, you know, already being uh, you know, gone from the first movie, like Mako dying is, is like really like one of the only things they could have uh like pretty much the only other thing they could have done to to kind of like push him in that direction probably would have been to kill uh, Scott Eastwood's character because, you know, they actually had like a history together. Yes. But that'd have been like the only other way. So because I kind of, uh... I kind of, I kind of see like why they would use, uh, yeah, you know, like try to keep Scott Eastwood's character going forward. And then, you know, like since they've already had a whole movie with Mako, I can kind of get it.
1: Yeah, I can, I kind of get it. And, you know, stacker Pentecost's death, I don't think is enough because, He triggered, literally triggered his own death. He set off a bomb and self-destructed himself. This was direct, directly murdering his sibling. This was a direct result of, you know, the monsters, whether they be metal, human, or kaiju. The monsters of the movie directly took her out. So he has to get revenge. Whereas Stacker took himself out. And it was a situation, you know, that he was put in with the war, and everything else. But the bottom line is he pulled the trigger himself, so it's different. You know, I can I can see that needing needing Mako, but I just hate to see it. Uh, like yeah, you said, at I, I least do. it's not wasted. Because what I was referencing with Walking Dead is on that same podcast that we used to do a long time ago. We had a big rant about when Beth was taken out in Walking Dead about how... It was literally just there for shock value, taking out a main character for no reason. Um, it was Complain, just so contrived. It is so Just pointless. to have her die and just to yeah. shock the audience. And it was such a waste of a character, whether that was your favorite
0: character or not. It was such a waste. Um, Which also spits directly in the face to just like the Walking Dead comic. Because like mm-hmm. the thing that made Walking Dead as a comic r- work really well was the fact that it was similar to to uh, game of thrones and that george rr R. martin always knew how to kill a character that would create shock value that would also then further the plot and it yes. was never wasted so to like have such like an important character just die to such a pointless shock value thing was also just like insult injury yeah and that's
1: easily what makamori's death could have been i am still con- confused about where raleigh is they mention him twice but never where he is or what he's doing
0: yeah and i get why they wouldn't like uh want to have him in the movie to an extent because that would detract from jake who yes. they are trying to establish as the main protagonist you know but it is straight like I-, I almost feel like maybe they were planning on having him come back maybe he would be motivated to come back after the death of mako as well and mako's death would both motivate jake more and also motivate Raleigh to come back for another sequel had it so. And the other thing I was thinking
1: about if we had a third movie and we we mash all the characters, all the remaining characters together in the third movie, uh, the the deeper the bond, the higher the drift compatibility. And if John Boyega and Raleigh are both pissed off at Mako Mori's death, like would they be able to drift together? Yeah, that'd be really cool to see. I also just Really liked
0: Raleigh as a character. Dude, get
1: I, get Scott Eastwood and Herc in one of them, yeah, <laughs> and John Boyega cool. and
0: Raleigh in the other one. That'd be that'd be pretty dope, right? Yeah, I mean, Netflix, stop giving. I, I mean, I love Knives Out, but dedicate five hundred million dollars to their Pacific Rim movie, not another no. Knives Out one, because like Ryan Johnson can get that shit made anywhere. Like, we need Pacific yeah. Rim to be kind of like manufactured into existence.
1: Um, what did you think about what they did with Newt? That's the thing I'm, I'm curious to hear. I know you. Oh, this is your second I, time seeing it, but
0: y- yeah, I'm still curious to uh, hear was, your thoughts. I was really torn the first time I saw this, and I'm still torn. I I don't mm-hmm. like. I kind of like that. Okay, first first of all, one really cool sleight of hand that I think the movie actually does. Alice is because you've seen so many movies. You uh, well that that's a, that's a cool like <laughs> Mister act too, but making you think that uh Charlie Day's boss the Yes, Shaw Industries like the, lady yeah like a uh, Lee Li Xiao, or whatever her name is yes uh, making you automatically think that you're ahead of the movie and you already know she's the villain just for Newt to have been the villain all along is a great twist it's it's really well done and I, I just, think
1: it they the best place that they do it is when she says, so that means the attack was a good thing. And he gives her that look and he's like, eh, if you look at it sideways and you squint. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: also one of my favorite lines just in any movie ever. Eh,
1: if you look at it sideways and you squint, maybe you could say that.
0: Yeah. Um, Charlie Day again is just fucking great as that character. And and they also, they kind of give him like an out because I had forgotten how much they made a point of saying, He's not in control anymore. It's yes. basically like the precursor alien that is controlling him. You know, he's, he's part of the hive mind. He's just yeah, he's just like a puppet essentially. They're yes. just using him because he's he just happens to be, you know, now, uh, something they can control. So th- I like I I get it. Like what what are what are your thoughts on it? Because I don't hate it, but I also don't particularly love it. So
1: I didn't like it the first time I saw the movie, and I remember voicing that as I was leaving the theater. Mm-hmm. Looking back, especially after after multiple my my kids love this movie. Uh, they love both of them. Haley especially. Nathan I think likes the second one better because of the Obsidian Fury fights. I think he likes Robot on Robot probably more. Another than the great fucking stuff. name,
0: Obsidian Fury. Oh, great fucking God mechanism. Damn
1: it, they're so good at naming things. Um, but looking back on it, I think it's I think it's kind of cool. It, it makes sense. Um. I don't think it's from the, the, like, because you could easily say, then why isn't Gottlieb, right? Why isn't Gottlieb part of the hive mind? You could say that, you know, either A, they just didn't have a chance to get him during the time that he was drifting. Or it could be because he helped share the neural load and it happened the first time he did it on his own. Or because he did it multiple times. There's I, multiple yeah, I think it's ways he did it multiple times,
0: it. and he was just subjected to it more.
1: Right. That's kind of where I land on it, and I think that it's uh, I think it's kind of interesting. I think the main reason I reacted so negatively is just because of Charlie Day's performance and how lovable he is in that first movie. I think it literally physically hurts me to see him as a bad guy now. But right, yeah. I, uh, looking back, I think that's what probably makes it a really cool thing that they did at
0: the same it, time. It, yeah. It makes it a legitimate twist, which is not something you would expect from the, you know, robots yeah. punching fucking robots or robots punching giant fucking aliens. And, and I actually I also uh, just, like, you know, like give it a lot of respect for not being afraid to either kill or drastically alter already established characters from the first movie. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's a ballsy move. Also, yeah. the other thing that helps... Um helps uh, kind of fool you into thinking that he's not the bad guy. Is he's basically? I mean, there was supporting role in the first movie, but even more so. Like they have even less screen time. Gottlieb and uh, Newt have even less screen time in this probably than they did the first one, especially Newt. And it turns out he's the villain of the movie. <laughs> so, yeah, you know.
0: Of course, yeah. you don't suspect it's...
1: him. You haven't. You've seen him twice before he's revealed. I think.
0: I definitely have more of an appreciation for it the second time watching it, just because like it is like a ballsy twist, and it is a, a, a like a well-executed twist that didn't like you didn't have to have a fucking twist in this movie at all. It could have yeah. just been fucking robots punching aliens in. and everyone would probably been you know like for the most part okay with that, you know.
1: Yeah, it could have just been they open one rift,
0: so they opened a second one. You know, so, uh, but so it's like this was it's th- kind of missing the kind of like. That that heart and just that fucking yes. Genesequa that, that Del Toro always brings to his movies that makes it like uh keeps it from being something special. But I, I at least, you know, glad that it was passed along to Stephen S tonight and his co-writers who legitimately seem to give a shit. It's not a half ass sequel. No, it's very well crafted, it's very lovingly crafted, but Del Toro is such a
1: character in his own right and he's such kind of a kind of an oddball in the best way that that really comes yeah. through in the first movie. Totally agree. And it's that it's very noticeably even if you're not perceiving what it is that's missing from this movie. Um you it's very obvious that you're missing Del Toro. Uh but I mean, it's not Okay, Jeff. I have often thought if we ever had a Patreon that one of the one of the uh, rewards, one of the Patreon re- uh, rewards, would be a, kind of a side spinoff thing that we do once a month. That I just, I just wanted to simply call it in defense of, and mm-hmm. Pacific Rim Uprising was one of the movies on that list because everyone seems to fucking hate this movie, and it does have some things that it, some stuff that it suffers from from Hollywood, but overall.
0: I do not think this movie deserves the shit that it takes at all. Yeah, I I totally agree too. Now, if you're coming from the point of view, um, let's just say these just aren't your type of movies and you don't really care for either Pacific Rim or Uprising. I get that. That's fine. Everyone has their own taste. The thing that gets me is the people who seem to love the first movie and then hate this one that's the thing that that confuses me because i don't get how someone could love the aspects that make the first movie what it is and then and then turn around and say the second one's shit because while it's not nearly as good it's not like a colossal piece of shit like the fact that this movie is like more poorly regarded overall than godzilla 2014 is a fucking laughing stock to me
1: yeah i don't get it at all because I mean, the thing is, Pacific Rim, oh boy, that was a high bar. I don't care how good a sequel is. It's never going to be that first Pacific Rim because it has a lot of the same problems that any sequel to the first Avengers movie would have, which is, I've never seen that before. Right. And then once you've seen it, okay, okay. I Camp have now seen back that in the bottle. before. Yeah. Yeah. Remember everyone's reaction to Age of Ultron? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, you know, and yes, that is a wild example. Those movies couldn't be more different. But think about it. Like, I've seen giant robot movies. I've seen monster movies. I've seen them done poorly. I had never seen Pacific Rim before. Pacific Rim made me care about the heart and soul of the characters. It made me care about what was going on with... Hannibal Chow. I felt it when he died. My
0: fucking shoe. (laughs) Yeah.
1: When he quote unquote died, I was like, no, not Hannibal Chow. I've known him for five minutes. Right. Like, you know, it just, it made me care about all of it. It made me care about the robots like they were a character in the movie, which they are. And, you know, I had never seen that before. And a lot of those elements that you love about the first movie are in this one.
0: Yeah, let's let's talk uh too. Um one thing that I actually really admire about the sequel that uh in la- at the last episode when we were talking about the first one, right? We talked about how they had to use um basically a nighttime setting to assist with the CGI. Every fucking fight in this movie happens in broad daylight or in the snow. And
1: yeah, and clear weather.
0: Yeah, and they have to uh, it, like the final fight happens in like the fucking middle of the afternoon, and what is it, uh, Tokyo, next yep. to, like near Mount Fuji, the, yep. and and they have nothing to mask through CGI. It is just all the artistry, and I think they do a damn good job because like the fucking fight scenes and the CGI, you know, look really fucking good. So, the
1: other thing that I wanted to um to talk about also that they did in the first movie really well. I think they actually do better in Uprising is the sense of scale that comes with it. I know that big buildings are big. I know that giant freighter ships are giant, right? But I, I don't have a lot of experience with those things. I know they're big. I don't know just how big they are. You show me people hanging from tethers, walking across the sides of the robots, welding things... Or you show me November Ajax at the beginning of the movie, the foot coming down right in front of the camera as he's walking. Um, You know, things like that. When she makes a jump for Gypsy Avenger and misses the jump and he catches her in the hand. Seeing stuff like that and getting the sense of scale in this movie, uh, I think is done. I mean... There's ways they probably could have done it that well in the first movie that probably wouldn't have fit with what was going on. So, you know, we we had to have the montage of getting everything rebuilt and, and coming back after the attack to get a lot of that. But just stuff like, you know, at the beginning of the movie, like I said, with Scrapper, them standing in front of Scrapper, them getting inside of Scrapper, and then seeing Scrapper next to November Ajax.
0: Right, it's like the size of like a fucking football compared yeah. to the if, big actual if full that size. Much, maybe
1: a golf ball when he's in ball form. I don't know. And yeah. then, like I said, the the camera angles of him stepping down right in front of your face, uh, and things like that. I think because you have you would have to assume you're at least the height of the cameraman when that foot comes down in front of the screen. So mm. yeah, it's the sense of scale in this movie. I think is. Really well done. That wide shot of nude on top of the building when the, the fucking mega kaiju just fills the entire screen edge to edge. Uh, yeah, it the sense of scale in this movie is done really, really well. But I have I, some I problems too if you want to talk about those. Yeah, go ahead. I'm getting tired of the slow-mo gimmick, Jeff. In any I movie. I actually
0: thought the same exact thing watching it tonight. I didn't remember uh, uh, recalling that the first time watching it, but the sequence isn't here when they use slow-mo. I was just like kind of just uh. watching <laughs> this movie on its own. It
1: didn't bother me so much, but when we went back and watched Pacific rim last week, and then going from that into this, Oh my god! I rolled my eyes every time it happened.
0: And it, it, it's super because it, it's not even usually used like really dramatically. It's just like they they have the super slow shooting missiles mm-hmm. at Gypsy Avenger at the towards I think it was Gypsy Avenger towards the beginning, right? And then Jake it, and and uh, not Clint Eastwood, uh, dodge it in slow motion. It was like, was that really necessary? Because that seemed to not be particularly a fast missile. (laughs) It wasn't even really aimed at them. Uh, the, The one
1: time that I liked it is when the drones attack the Shatterdome and they take out the Marshall. Those blast doors are closing, and all the missiles form a circle, and they fly through the doors as a narrow circle and then space out really wide again and hit everything. They do it then
0: as they go through the door. That's, yeah, that one's pretty cool. Also, I think probably the the best and most understandable use of slow motion is when they're trying to catch Mako's helicopter. That makes sense because it's that a dramatic makes moment. That yes. He's, he's, he's trying to save her. It's a, it's a very important character. I get, I get that. Uh, like them grinding the fucking choreo- uh, choreography to a halt to show one of the Jaegers like... The wit the like yeah like the whip has too much slow-mo when one of them is being thrown to the air and they duck underneath it in slow-mo that's also unnecessary that yeah it's just like a few few too many moments of slow-mo for yeah. sure the only movie i can think
1: of right off hand that does it worse than this movie is that uh the Dragon rebooted Revolution. term root re- do no, well yeah the rebooted tomb raider <laughs> i was gonna say but yes that was pretty bad as well <laughs> um oh my god the fucking fly anyway <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's my biggest complaint because like you said, it just grinds the action sequences to a halt and with the way that this movie is set up like old school monster movies where the big the the big monster fight happens at the end of the movie and not throughout like the first one, it's even more frustrating every time it happened. And I think another thing that makes it even worse is the way they call attention to it by slowing the audio down and doing that yeah. every time it happens. Do
0: they do they have any slow mo in the first Pacific room at all? Not that I remember. Because I I I was thinking the same thing as I was watching it. It seems to be such like a a touchstone of the sequel, and it, I don't I don't remember any yeah at all in the first movie.
1: There's a lot a lot of just what you could consider a stereotypical like hollywood gimmick in this movie and i feel like the success i feel like the first one wasn't supposed to be as successful as it was and the studios probably had more more input
0: on this one they probably didn't give a shit about the first movie That's right yeah i could see that uh elaborate on some of the gimmicks you were talking about um the a lot of the camera angles that they
1: do uh for one um the slow-mo and the audio that
0: goes with it yeah it's very
1: God.
0: it's very cookie cutter in a way that del toro movies never are and that's right. what always makes them kind of special is they're always made with just like such love and attention to detail and they're they're always they're 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 such a specificity to del toro that just can't be like explained and it's, yeah. it's just you have to watch the movie and just see it
1: but there's, there's just a just just a lot of that kind of stuff the stuff with the the kids there's a lot of uh story tropes as well um i have a question for you jeff
0: okay what do you think of amara that's uh scrapper girl right yes i think she's okay i don't like i feel like i should it's uh, similar to my opinion on Scott Eastwood's character, you know, I was saying, like, I feel like I should be irritated by this character, but I kind of like them. That's kind of how I feel about Amara. So,
1: in my opinion, Amara Namani just could not be more generic textbook archetype of that character, right? And I say character... Because I don't know how to say her name. Kaylee Spani? Spani? Biani? Whatever. I have seen bad times at the El Royale. She's fucking terrifying. I know
0: it's not her. <laughs> oh, who did. Is she. Oh, does she play the uh, crazy girl? She's the crazy girl. Oh, shit. I didn't realize that was her. That That's is cool. her. And
1: I know it's not her because I've seen that movie and I'm scared of her. But in this movie she is almost like if you had a dark version of power rangers for young adults i feel like she would fit right into that type that uh, you know into yeah that, that type setting
0: i, I could kind of see it i actually didn't think she was that bad in this i i just i just think I you're right that she I don't is a think very she's bad but for how much the movie hinges on that character T- true yeah she's a very underdeveloped for how much that she's quote-unquote like important for the plot yeah
1: yeah um how did you like her flashback scene though with um the the uh the leader of she, of sword i
0: yeah i noticed that too i was like oh <laughs> shit is that the fucking asshole from It's like yeah sure enough that's him yeah um i i i didn't hate it because i actually liked that they realized i actually talk, i think i talked about it on the last episode how i thought it was really smart the way they used the the drift to have the the mako backstory and be able to use it as like an engine for the protagonist to kind of see what's going on with their their backstory that they weren't previously aware of you know mm-hmm. so i i didn't have an issue with it i think it's smart to use the drift again like that just because it's, it's such an easy and organic way to have backstory like why wouldn't you just go ahead and use it
1: yeah um so, the other thing that I want to talk about, I feel like we were pretty light on talking about the actual action in the first movie. I think we were basically just like, yep, it's awesome and it checks it's out. Awesome. And then we just talked about the characters mostly. But I wanted, what, what did you think about like the fight choreography or like the monster designs and the robot designs and stuff in this one? Because well, this it's... movie takes a lot of flack also for the robot
0: designs and I like them. I like pretty much everything about the choreography and everything about the designs when it's not in slow motion, when it goes into yes. slow motion, I get irritated and bored, but I actually think the choreography is pretty cool. Like, uh, I really liked the, the way that they used, um, the environment in the Siberia fight. Yeah. Like where, th- where they're actively going like under the water, under the ice and shit, uh, is really cool. When, He punches
1: the ice and they fall through. They elbow rocket the ice. Uh, Which, by the way, I don't know if you noticed, they use their elbow rocket to punch through the ice. Yeah. So I've never noticed that before tonight because they
0: don't sit there and focus on it like they did the first movie. Yeah, they don't. Anime trope: call out their attacks like, like in the first movie. <laughs>
1: yeah, and it's literally in the CGI around their arm inside the cockpit. You see the rocket fire. Then it cuts to the punch. um But yeah, I thought that was really cool that they're just using the stuff without calling it out like they did in the first movie. But uh, as soon as he punches the eyes to fall through to escape the the Unibeam or whatever that he's uh, Obsidian Fury's firing. I immediately heard your voice in my head talking about how much you love the way that the pilots use their environment and think on their feet and fight in unconventional ways. Yeah. Because that is exactly what they do over and over again in this movie as well. Yeah, I, I love that bit. That whole fight's really fucking badass. That whole fight is amazing. And the, the way the colors... con We talked about how they use color in the first movie. The way that the colors contrast in... The Siberia fight as well because Obsidian Fury. Obsidian is black. That's why he's named that. So you have this all white environment with this bright blue and orange robot and this bright black and orange robot going at it.
0: It, it was pretty striking to watch. Also, just how badass is the like fire chainsaw blades around the <laughs> the <laughs> sword blades? They. I had the same reaction they did, which was just oh shit. <laughs> And then when they fucking yoink that tech and and put it in Gypsy Avengers, like Uh-oh. fuck yeah, dude! I, I I steal that shit too. It's so cool. It's so cool. <laughs> it's so fucking cool. Also, maybe my favorite bit. I don't know. I don't know why I like it so much, but this is such a cool little moment. Uh, when they have the first Obsidian Fury fight, mm-hmm. and Gypsy Avenger gets like uppercutted and slides up, up the, the skyscraper. Building. Yes. And then stop. Like just stops. For like suchly like a slight second delay and then slides back down the skyscraper is just such a great fucking moment. Did they use slow mo on that moment? I don't think they do. I think it just like it's just its momentum as it comes to a stop. Out of all the wasted places that they use it, that one would have been kind of cool. Uh, I, although I think part of what makes it cool is just that they didn't fucking use slow mo for it because I think it just happens in real time. I think that's part of what makes it kind of cool. Because I was already irritated by their slow-mo by that
1: point. <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, I like the mech designs because even more so than the first one, there's a video game I don't know if you ever played. It was actually, I'm going to say, more fun in the arcade version than the Sega Saturn version.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But there is a video game called Virtual On, and I think you should go to Google Images and look for Virtual On. Um. Even more so in the first movie, a lot of the robot designs look a lot like the the virtual on Cybertrooper characters. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of, like, um, just, like, the very first image I saw was just, like, a lot of, like, striking purples and oranges, and that's also very... And
1: look at, if you see, I don't know any of the characters' names, I don't remember, but there's the there's a big green one. If you were to take the big orange, the drill from the big orange one, and stick that on the hand of the green one, you have the green one from Pacific Rim. Gotcha, right? Yeah. Like it, they look very much like them. And that was a fucking fun video game, by the way. It had uh, a chair. It had two chairs side by side. It was a fighting arena game, right? And you, uh, you sat down, and it had two joysticks, and you did everything with the two joysticks. You turned, I think. Putting the sticks towards each other was how you dashed forward with your rockets, and I want to say away from each other was how you jumped. Uh, but everything was it looks two pretty damn good for a Sega game. Yeah, Sega Saturn. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was really fun. But uh, a lot of the mech designs in Uprising reminds me of this game, and yeah, I totally I'm okay with it.
0: that. I'm totally okay with that. Do you also like how they literally have the Gundam statue in the movie? Yes, <laughs> I can't help but love that. I mean, why not? Right. I mean, why not? It's um. it's also it's also just made me laugh because uh, d- did you hear the uh, the Netflix Gundam fuck up? Did you hear about this? Uh. Uh-uh. Uh. So Netflix had this big collage of upcoming projects, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. one of the uh big projects that was listed on there is apparently a live action gundam movie is in the works by the director of kong skull island and i'm like fuck yeah
1: yeah i think i mentioned Uh, that last time
0: uh, yeah i'm all about it so when they when they listed gundam as part of their big collage of movie and tv titles of their upcoming projects they misspelled gundam (laughs) are you serious (laughs) they misspelled gundam and their reply to it after it became this like huge story is they just said they completely fucking redeemed themselves because their only reply was Gundam. it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> how? Uh, hold so on. Good. I just found a screen rant article. How do you, how is it possible to spell Gundam? It's not even that.
0: Yeah. I, I don't remember how they specifically fucked up the spelling of it, but they did. Witcher, Cowboy Bebop,
1: Armor of the Dead, at least for Stranger Things. Oh, oh
0: not spelled G U N D U M? Yeah, they did G U
1: N D U M, and then gun damn it, gun
0: damn it. Oh, <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah, the story will be forever in my brain once I see this or hear I think Gundam you can't
1: now. get any dumber, you do something like this and totally Com- redeem, redeem yourself. Redeem
0: yourself. Yeah, it's fucking great oh man
1: that is, i know i had not heard that and i'm so glad you brought it up
0: yeah it's great everyone look up the fucking article because like just seeing that the way they they replied to a gun damn it well put a little pep in your step for a little bit it's pretty fucking funny i hope the Wen
1: shout actress is in that because she was in this she was in kong skull island and the gundam movie is the kong skull island guy and it's another giant robot thing so why not yeah she's awesome who was she in skull island you remember the two scientists that are tagging along with them
0: vaguely the
1: one of them is the the guy that is with uh i almost said john candy what's his name john uh goodman it's the guy that's with john goodman right and then there's mm-hmm. there's a woman with them as well
0: oh yeah 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 i remember now yeah that's her oh she's apparently also in the uh the great wall movie i, I did not remember her being in that but apparently she is did you see that yeah, yeah, fuck you let God. me borrow it. We talked about it at one point and you let me borrow it. I don't remember. It's a, it I liked it though.
1: But I don't yeah, I don't remember her being in it. I can see her being in that though. That that yeah. So, yeah, she's in all the monster robot things. Put her in yeah, the Gundam in movie old, too. Yeah, put her in the fucking Gundam movie. Yeah, fuck yeah. The the Gundam movie. Yeah. Gundam the movie. The, the Gundam movie
0: too, The Search for More Money. <laughs> That's <laughs> what this movie should have been titled.
1: Pacific Rim 2: The Search for More
0: Money. <laughs> the so, merchandising. Merchandising.
1: Merchandising.
0: Do they have... Pacific Rim, the flamethrower. The kids love this one.
1: They have to have toys and shit of
0: this, right? You would think. I coincidentally just a couple hours ago, because I was also thinking, like, why don't I remember seeing more merchandising for Pacific Rim? I actually don't see very much of it. See, which cause... is bizarre for a Del Toro. Usually, Del Toro shit like yeah. is very popular when it comes to miniatures and stuff, just because of his uh, you know, like you think of like. Character design from like Pain's Labyrinth and like Hellboy, shit, shit like that. Give me, you think, give you'd me a think gypsy there'd danger be more than there is.
1: Statue, right? That would be amazing. What was that, sorry? Give me a Gypsy Danger statue.
0: Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah, like amazing. have like some little, like a, a little model where it was like a little <laughs> uh a segment from one of their fights or something with the <laughs> kaiju. would be really cool. I'm
1: sorry. IMDb is playing the trailer. Thank God it automatically mutes, but it's playing the trailer to Pacific Rim Uprising there's like three
0: slow-mo shots <laughs> <laughs> of course there is why did they think that was still cool this was because like that that shit was already this movie came out in 2018 this shit has been dated the slow-mo since like the early 2000s like fucking yeah. 15 years ago so like why did they think it would be cool it's not it's not acceptable anymore <laughs>
1: yeah i don't know why but it's really weird yeah i don't know it doesn't know. ruin the movie though i still like the movie yeah, I still like the movie. I still like the movie yeah. a lot. Um, it's never going to compare to the first one. But it, it just can't. The first one is a juggernaut. It's a juggernaut, bitch. Um, <laughs> yeah, it just cannot uh, compare. But that doesn't make it bad.
0: Yeah. It, it's still a good movie. It's still a fun ride. It's still I, still pr- like I, I like this better than every fucking movie in the last few years that's had Godzilla in it. I can tell you that much. Yeah.
1: And it... You know, it's still got great characters. It's still got great action sequences. It's got good design. It's got good graphics. It's a hell of a lot of CGI. And the graphics are pretty good. And they're still... It's pretty common, even though I can't think of a specific example right now. Maybe you can. For a sequel to try its best to not be the same the same tone and mm-hmm. the same um the same kind of even genre almost as the first movie this movie tries to do everything the first one did in a different way and it manages to keep the same tone it manages to keep it dark but fun it has genuinely funny moments it's got great action sequences great characters it plays with the color palette. Everything we said about the first movie applies to this one. It's just not a solid ten like Pacific Rim.
0: That that's my argument for this movie. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Well, I, I like uh, well, always probably rewatch Pacific Rim one like a lot more often. Like I I bought this movie on uh you know like you know I was telling you on the last week's uh, or the last episode you know like, with Pacific Rim the first one you know like, where you know, I've been buying some movies on the 4K Blu-rays, you know, just to check them out. And, right. like, I have no regrets at all buying this one along with the first one on the 4K Blu-ray. So you own it's, this it's one fucking... physically?
1: What was that? So you own this one physically?
0: Yes. I, I own now both Pacific Rim 1 and Uprising on 4K Blu-ray.
1: Okay. So that, that's that's kind of a special place for you, right? Because you're, you're kind of buying into the digital thing these days.
0: Mo- yeah, mostly um like uh with books, I have mostly gone away from buying physical most books I, I now buy you. digital. I honestly get around to streaming more movies than I do physically buying them just because like most of the shit I'm interested in is gonna end up on like a Disney Plus or right. something like or HBO Max. HBO Max has like a metric fuck ton of movies now. Yeah, they do. I just I find less of a reason to buy movies and one of the reasons I do go out of my way to buy them, especially for like a new format like 4K Blu-ray As if they're just, like, fun to look at, which is, like, what Pacific Rim and Uprising are when Uprising's not using (laughs) slow-mo. If we can just get, you know, like, Topher Grace re-edited all the fucking prequels. Can we just have Topher Grace just be, like, the chosen one and just, like, take out, speed up the slow-mo and Uprising? Just make me that little director's cut? Like, a little re-edit, please? (laughs) I I would
1: honestly love to see what he would do with this movie. Yeah. I would honestly love to see it. But, yeah, the, um... Aside from that and just talking about you know the first time seeing this movie and finding out who Alice is, <laughs> right? Um, I don't really have anything else that I was looking to specifically talk about.
0: It's such a what the fuck when he goes back, oh. and he like fucking he he's, he walks it and there's well, like
1: let's have some fun in
0: the bedroom, what do you say? And then it cuts to the fucking brain in a jar. And he walks in. He has music playing in his apartment for the Fuffing fucking music. kaiju brain he's dating, yes. dude. What the fuck? Yes, he's just sitting there talking to
1: it like he's talking to like a wife that's in another room. Yeah. Oh, oh man, it was such a such a thing. Such a bad day at work, and my boss almost got <laughs> killed. So that was bad. No, you know what? That could have been good because she's just been riding me. <laughs> like it just he's just having a conversation. Like oh, but enough about me let's talk about you huh let's have some fun in the bedroom and it just cuts to a fucking kaiju brain
0: in the corner did you notice room, too and it says he alice had... in the upper corner and next to the alice name there's a little fucking like sharpie on a heart yeah. he fucking went over to the kaiju jar with the brain in it yeah and fucking etched a little heart onto it next to Al- and like fucking named it yeah it's, it's just like i wish i could have seen your and I's reaction to that the first time it was like what, what? because the movie up until then isn't really doing anything like that level of bonkers, you know. Yeah, uh, you should you should come over sometime, you know, have some dinner,
1: maybe you can finally meet Alice.
0: Oh, one little thing before we sign off—that actually that was kind of cool—is the idea of having the little like fucking kaiju nanobots that like the little yes. ripper things that like etch the kaiju together. Like kind Silver of silverfish cool to me. <laughs> Do uh, yeah, this is I thought that was kind of a cool idea because at first you're like, oh, they're just gonna go like surround and attack the. The, the Jaegers, or whatever. Which is what like part they of the fight. Fought.
1: They got into a formation in a circle. Yeah. And then they, and they, just uh, they went on around to them. towards the
0: Kaijus, yeah.
1: Now, did you notice this parallel? Uh, these were two Category 4s and a Category 5. What was the final fight in the first one, Jeff? Oh, I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, you're right. Yeah, two Category 4s
0: and a Category 5. So, what do they become when they're merged? Is there, like, a little, like... Square formula going like uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. know. I, don't know. Don't I know just been calling it the that. mega kaiju.
1: <laughs> I don't know if they're. I mean, for he breaks five. the scales. Is that like a category
0: thirteen? Yeah, no, no fucking clue. You think they would point <laughs> that out because that is such like an anime thing to do—is just like grind the show to a halt just to call out the power level of the fucking thing they're fighting. I know? do
1: like. I do like how uh, the trailer ends on this line. Uh, at least the one I remember theatrically, and uh, it's in the movie, and it still didn't lose any weight because of how they play with scale. But just that shadow drifting up over all of the Jaegers, and then, well, he's big. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I remember like uh, seeing because we we didn't think this movie was gonna happen, and right. then. We were just like this movie's never gonna fucking happen. They were talking about you know like a guy greenlit it's filming when you and I, if I recall, we were both just like yeah, fuck that. I'll believe it when I see a trailer. And we saw the trailer, we're just like oh shit, it exists and it's fucking batshit. So like let's go. Yeah, we were we were like their opening weekend for this, I yeah, think. I remember thinking this was gonna be bad. Oh well, you think every sequel is gonna be shit? You even thought Endgame was gonna be shit. <laughs> <laughs> How
1: could it be good?
0: Anyway, it's true. But it's yeah, cool. yeah uh, you you do, also, you do automatically default to. I, I guess like a defense mechanism so you don't get your hopes up. You <laughs> exactly. think every movie that's a sequel is going to be shit until you see it. I think it.
1: any movie that I want is going to be
0: shit. Yeah, it's honestly not a bad call because you're less likely to be disappointed if you expect shit and, you know, like, ho- like expect exactly. the fucking worst over the best. Um,
1: whoever was the clothing and set designer for the Nuke character, by the way, hit that character spot on, dude. The way he dresses, the way his apartment looks. I just wanted to shout that out too. Yeah. Uh, also that, that fits that character very well. If if that character from the first one got super rich, what would he be like? And, and also had a kaiju brain inside of him. And then have a kaiju <laughs> brain inside his bedroom that Yeah. God, oh god. Tell me that he doesn't have physical access to the brain.
0: <laughs> oh god. Let's not, let's not go there, but I also this is just like a side thing. I am always okay with someone speaking and multiple voices coming out, so I really oh. dig the scenes where Charlie Day is talking, and then they, like, amplify the double speak with, like, the kaiju precursor voice over his voice. That I'm was, always okay with that.
1: That When you asked me to elaborate on what gimmicks, that was the one I couldn't think of that was in the back of my head. That one kind of drives me nuts. I, I like it.
0: Uh, I, maybe just because I'm a fucking Avatar nerd and... But every time Aang speaks with like the other avatars talking through him at the same time he's talking, yeah. I'm always just a fuck I get I get a fucking nerd boner for that. I don't know why I just like that trope.
1: But that also is different, right? Like if you stop and think about it. Like um they do that when in Bleach also, anytime he's wearing his holo mask, or in Dragon Ball Z, they do that with like Gogeta and Vegeta, it or um Vegito and Gogeta. Yeah. It's it's different because these are, are characters that you know, right? Like Aang is being guided by the other avatars of the past and it's them you're hearing. This is just like generic go into Audacity and adjust the pitch of the voice. Like voice it wasn't it's not anything, it's not anything I know. I don't I've never heard a precursor talk. I, I don't really yeah. know a lot about the precursor. It's just kind of a, another generic thing that they do that kind of drove me insane a little bit. I just specifically like that
0: trope so it, it never bothers me. I just always like it.
1: I mean, and I it also why. does the whole thing like with the computer monitors and everything gets scrambled and she is trying to break through so parts of it are visible underneath the scrambling and parts of it aren't. That's not the way computers work. Like it's just generic shit like that for the are, audience. But it's like
0: are, I, are you qu- are, are you questioning Ron the <laughs> exposition computers cuz I will not have that chat <laughs> yes. on this podcast. You because- can never question <laughs> Oh, exposition computers
1: really fast, really fast. I know we're trying to get out of here now. What did you think about Might even call
0: it a quick aside?
1: What what did you think (laughs) about them changing the precursor's goal in the first movie? Making everything about getting to Mount Fuji.
0: Oh, about them making like, oh, like the enhance. Oh, they were all running about Fuji. I don't don't really care. I'm not. That invested in like the precursor agenda, mm-hmm. which now sounds like a fucking punk band. Now that I say it out loud, <laughs> <laughs> I think I saw them at the BoK once. <laughs> precursor agenda, pretty the good. Precursor yeah.
1: agenda, um, yeah, because yeah, that 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 is one story beat that kind of drives me nuts. I don't like it when you retcon things I like. So you I can got, see that d-
0: you got to be careful. It just doing depends. That. It just depends. Like I, I I never, as much as I like Pacific Rim One, it's not specifically it's the, not untouchable. like the spe- it's it's not the specifics of like the alien races like glo- like world fucking domination agenda shit like that that's gonna bother me because that's never been the point in the movies it's never the point so it doesn't bother me when they read shit I'm just, like, I'm just like whatever
1: it's not the most egregious thing i the most egregious example i have is again Independence state regurgence. Oh, when they uh,
0: retcon part of the first movie? When they
1: retcon part of the first movie. Mm-hmm. A very, very important part as well. Yeah. Um it's not as egregious as, as egregious as that, but I was just kinda like, no, you had a perfect ten. Don't go back and try to
0: retcon part of the perfect ten, please. But it also doesn't it doesn't affect the first movie. It, it's not like it. It's not like it. Ruin if it actively ruins something in the first movie, then it would bug me. But it didn't change anything. No, like, it it, doesn't, it, it doesn't works matter. and
1: it plays nice with everything that they're doing, and you can work in because we don't know what's going. We don't even know till near the end of the first movie that the precursors even exist. Yeah. So you know, we don't know anything about anything that's going on in that movie. So yeah, it it, it that's the reason why it works. But it just kind of I guess it irks me is one way to put it. It just kind of it, it's
0: me. just. Yeah, it's 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 also just the type of thing where a retcon can work. It can it can work differently for different people. You know, so, yeah. Some people don't get, some people get really bent out of shape over retcons, and I I get it. Like especially just like the amount of like a uh, retconning that happens in like comics is fucking insane. Oh, I know. You can't. It even makes keep literally track of it. every comic kind of pointless in the long run because anything you can think of has been retcon changed characters die characters automatically come back yeah it's it's just a mess this specific instance while retconning can annoy me this instance largely didn't affect anything and didn't really bother me personally but i I can totally understand like why certain aspects of it could could kind of trigger you but it just didn't uh, affect me at all anything else you wanted to touch on though before we sign off uh no, I think that's it. I
1: just I just want to see three because we've been defensive for two movies. I want to see what offensive Jaegers
0: look like. I want uh, to see that mission. Th- if they make a third one, I want Raleigh back. Yes. I want him back really bad. I because want I, just w- I want John
1: Boyega, Scott Eastwood, and I want Raleigh Beckett.
0: Or uh what if you made a three person cockpit one that had all three of them in it. And then they were, that was kind of like the final assault was like a fucking even bigger Jaeger that required three of the pilots, you know? You know, like, what, the uh, next,
1: like a, you know what the next evolution is? The next evolution is Jaegers that merge like Devastator.
0: See, every time you say that, I just think of the fucking Bayformers testicles It was, Wasn't
1: that? <laughs> yeah. Devastator? That, that was supposed to be Devastator. Yeah. Yes. Fuck that movie. <laughs> that was basically, uh, 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 oh, God. Anyway. Uh, yeah. that's the next evolution we've stitched them together the only trick that they haven't pulled out of the proverbial hat right is merging the robots together
0: yeah which they uh, I I really really doubt it's ever gonna happen but I thought this movie would never happen so I could be proven wrong and exactly. also every movie can always come back because Netflix just loves wasting money mm-hmm. so there's always there's always hope but uh we haven't really discussed this. What is our next episode going to be about? I we? do you want to just come?
1: I was going to ask you that. I, I, we didn't discuss it beforehand
0: yeah, up until about 30 seconds ago. I just remembered. We, usually we confirm what the future movie is going to be before we record. So we don't have this awkward moment of dancing around what the fuck we're going to cover. Uh, do you want to just uh, kind of confirm the Pacific Rim anime? Because we discussed covering that. And I do want to watch that now that I've watched the movies mm-hmm. again.
1: Yeah, uh, if you wanted to delve into that, we can do that. I didn't know if we wanted to do that or if we were gonna continue down the summer list or what we were doing.
0: Yeah, uh, why don't we use the Pacific Rim anime as like a little like bridge the gap thing as we decide? Because like we can go back and you know like the summer, our, our franchise summer thing is very loose. You know, like we'll yeah. probably end up having franchises covered later than that. It's just kind of just like a general time frame, and we, and we can always put little intermittent ones of you know different stuff in between um so you want you want to just uh confirm right now pacific Rim anime for the next and then we'll kind of figure out from there yeah yeah let's do it cool yeah because i was gonna be watching it here pretty soon anyway might as well yeah so yeah uh if you would uh like to follow us more uh you know always make sure to describe whichever platform you found us on so you can get future episodes you can follow us on twitter at spr filmcast always fun. for show updates and you know just little tidbits here and there from me Ron, where can people find you on the interwebs when you are not discussing kaijus and giant robots? You can find me live on Twitch Sunday, Monday,
1: and Tuesday evenings at 9:30 p.m. US Central Time. Twitter and YouTube all under the hat of Roncent TV.
0: There you go. Yeah, check it out. What's what's your current series you're going on with now?
1: I am currently doing Dark Souls 3 on Twitch. And I am currently recording two YouTube exclusives, Far Cry 4 and It Takes Two with my wife. Oh, you guys are playing that? That'd be fun. Oh, dude, that game is a fucking blast. I've heard a lot about it. I have
0: yet to watch anything. I'll have to watch you and uh, Chris play it. It'd be fun.
1: Yeah, it's so good. Also, I'm going to go ahead and plug another channel. Uh, Rage Select is playing it. It's uh, Jeff and Matt, Matt Frank of Godzilla fame um are playing it takes 2 right now trying to fix their marriage and everything <laughs> and yeah it that watch them play it as well as many times as many people as you can watch play that game watch that game is fucking amazing
0: nice yeah i will have to check it out uh, but yeah we appreciate you listening and y'all have a good one
1: Then uh, there was something we specifically put off a year. Tra-
0: Transformers, we talked about. Oh, in Jesus
1: Christ. That's right.
0: I have 2022 Transformers question marky mark.
1: That is something <laughs> I would write. I believe that. Of course.